Good morning. The first reading today is from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbour as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You're not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. And the second reading today is from James chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favouritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing the fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, oh, you stand there, or you sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonoured the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Heavenly Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a guide for our lives. Let your word speak into our hearts today and let us not simply hear the words you have for us, but let them change us. Lord, I pray that as you speak to us today that we will have our hearts changed so that we will be shaped more into your likeness. Amen. Well, we're now into our fourth week in the book of James, uh, looking at how our faith and our work are meant to complement each other and not just be separate parts of our lives that we do during the week. Now, last week we looked at how the Bible is like a mirror, uh, it shows us who we truly are and reveals our soul to us. And through this inward looking, we can see how our faith in God 
enables God to shape us and to change us into the godly people that he created us to be. And we saw that obedience to God's perfect law is not a constraint, but it gives us life and freedom. And this week we're going to be looking more closely at how all of that works when we apply it to our lives. Last week we heard that God requires us to live a righteous life. Now Justin didn't use those exact words, but I will this morning. God has called us as believers in his word to commit to righteous living. And the call to righteous living sounds like a catch-all statement, but it is intended to permeate down to the smallest levels of our lives. How you respond to and treat the people that you encounter every day. And that's what James is addressing this morning in this passage. Now, our society today is divided. And you don't have to think too hard to come up with a few examples, but, I mean, the election last week showed that our society is quite divided. Uh, We're divided on immigration and climate change and religious freedoms and taxes. And within this room here, we'd be divided on a few of those issues. And our society is also divided around our socioeconomic standing. I grew up on the North Shore and I, I know what it's like to be around people that have more money than they know what to do with. And what's great here at Churchill is that we regularly come into contact with people at the other end of that spectrum. Our city care lunch and our Bible and breakfast draw these people to us. You see, as a society, we have issues. Uh, there seems to be more things that divide us than unite us at the moment. And we can see that these divisions push certain parts of our society to the outer, where we can't hear or see them, where we can only hear the opinions that we agree with. And that's called an echo chamber. And we already have that. That's called social media. You can already filter, defriend, and block anyone you want. We can, in our own lives, only hear and see the parts of the world that we like the most. Our text today tries to break down these divisions, and we're going to see three things this morning. We'll see a problem, a challenge, and a way forward. Now, firstly, the problem. You might think that the problem is showing favoritism, but James shows us that we have a problem with our hearts. The first verse is a pretty clear statement. My brothers and sisters... Believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Well, do you see the problem? See, the truth is, we do show favoritism. We do speak and act to people differently depending on what we think of them, or who they are, or what they are like. And if we use the mirror from last week at the Bible that shows us our hearts, if we're truly honest with ourselves we will see that our hearts are tuned to beat for the things that we want. Our hearts chase the material things of this world instead of chasing the creator of all things. Showing favoritism is our hearts chasing after the things that we value the most so that our hearts are ruled by the glory of the created world rather than the glory of the one who created it. Favoritism will always show you what your heart truly wants. Well, for example, if my heart's desire was to be famous, I would try and surround myself with famous people. I'd want to be in the right circles and not waste my time with things that won't help me in my quest for fame. Now, James puts forward a strong argument for showing us how we should be speaking and acting to everyone in our lives. Why? 
because we're believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. And he has told us not to show favoritism. Well, where does he show us that? Well, as we read before in Mark 12, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. James then gives an example of what this should look like, and he chooses a setting that's both a little bit cheeky, but is meant to cut to the heart. Verses 2 to 4 show us how favoritism or partiality or prejudice, you can call it by whatever name you'd like to, how that can play out in our church gathering. So hear these words again. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? And does any of that strike true with you? And when I first read this in preparation, I was a little bit relieved. Uh, I thought, isn't it great that here at St. Philip's all of our seats are just as uncomfortable as the others? It's brilliant. But that's not what James is getting at, is it? See, James is making a case that we make judgments on people based on their physical appearance and their clothing. And we do that, right? It's one of the reasons we dress in a certain way to come to church, isn't it? I certainly feel that I should look respectable when I'm here on Sundays. Well, but why? Well, probably so that you'll see me and not think poorly of me. And that's a judgment on me. Because I've known many of you for years and I know that your opinion of me won't change, hopefully, if I come worse dressed one week. Uh, But thank you for all the positive comments so far this morning. Uh, It's really good for my pride to challenge that. Uh, But we make comments about people's socioeconomic states too, don't we? You see, when James says that this man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes in, he doesn't just mean rich. He means powerful. Commentators say that in James' time, there were only two classes of people, the rich and the poor. There was no middle class. Rich people held all the power in their society. Most, if not all, of the Christians hearing this letter would have been poor. So let's, let's imagine this again. A church gathering of people who are living on the poverty line all of a sudden have one of the rich and powerful walk into their meeting. Of course they're treated well. Of course they're given the best seat and shown respect and honour because they're in a different class to everyone else. But then the poor man walks in. And he must be quite poor to be different to everyone else in the room. He's wearing filthy old clothes because they're probably the only clothes that he has. And because his clothes are filthy, it's not a stretch to imagine he doesn't smell too great either. And he looks a bit dirty. And he gets treated as such. He's not part of the respectable poor people that the rest of the Christians would be a part of. See, we judge people based on their outward appearance and we don't give any thought to their spiritual standing before the Lord. We have decided by not loving them in the same way that we do the rich man that they are inferior, not only to the rich man, but to us as well. That we are better than them, that we are different to them. In this hypothetical, there can only be one difference, and James doesn't spell it out, but the only difference between me and the poor man can only be our spiritual standing before the Lord. 
And my standing before the Lord is only by his grace. So I can't know how this poor man stands in his faith by how he looks. And even if I could, would it change how I treat him? And if I choose to treat him as inferior, then I've broken the command that Jesus gave us to love one another. As James gave an example, let me give one too. Imagine for a moment this happened in our service, maybe as Justin was giving the announcements. What would you think if a man walked down the center aisle to come and sit all the way down the front with more earrings and more tattoos than you thought was humanly possible to put on a body? What would you be thinking? Would you look at him, see that he doesn't have anyone to sit with and ask him to sit with you? Or would you ignore him as he walked by because he's not the type of person you would normally associate with? Or how about this? Would your heart be filled with love? Or would you make a quick judgment based on what your eyes can see? How quickly would you make up your mind as to what that person was like, what their personality was like, where they fit into our society based on what you can see? It's easy to make assumptions, isn't it? And we love to do it. But James goes on in verse 5. He says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name to whom you belong? So here's the rebuke from James. God has already chosen those who will have faith and inherit the kingdom. So who are you to not love all those that you meet? How is it your place to make judgments based on how people look? And Jesus makes this point in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And James pushes this point because it's so important for us to understand Only God can decide who is saved and has absolutely nothing to do with how you look or how well off you are or what job you have. And instead of loving the poor and accepting them, in this example, we have dishonored those that God has already loved and already chosen and already brought close to him. The one who God has accepted, we reject because we use the poorest instrument that we can to make that judgment, our eyes. But behind this judgment, the problem isn't our eyes, it's our hearts. If we truly believe in God, if we truly believe that Jesus died and rose again, and that our sins are forgiven, and we lead a new life following him and his teachings, how can we possibly act in this way that is so hurtful for no other reason than what someone looks like. It is only by God's grace we are saved. We still stand before God with nothing but his blood and righteousness, and we can bring nothing before him that counts for anything, but we stand before God resting in his grace and mercy. We've been given this gift of grace, but make no mistake, we are as poor and needy as the poor man in James's hypothetical. Our hearts need to be changed. They need to be reset. 
We need to use our eyes for good and not for quick judgment. And remembering back to last week, we should be quick to listen and slow to speak. Is that what James shows us in this example? No. And it shows in how people are treated. Our faith in God has to be shown in how we speak and act to all people, and not just within these walls here. Our faith should not live most strongly within the walls of the church. We believe that the faith to which God calls us to must live in every area of our lives and to all the people we interact with. And James goes on to talk about the rich and powerful. Aren't they the ones who are causing you the most trouble? Again, from the commentators, this was an issue for Christians in the first century. Those who had power were abusing it to have the poor, so the Christians amongst them, to pay more taxes and to oppress them. And they even went as far as to mock the name of Jesus. And so the rich, who would be treated better than the poor if they came into the church, were actually the ones who would treat Christians worse. I mean, that's incredibly counterintuitive, isn't it? To have a desire to treat those with power better than those without, even though they abuse that power against you. But we see that today, don't we? The rich and powerful standing against the religious groups. We still live in this same prejudice. And we're not free from it. We've been given instructions from Jesus himself on how to be loving, and we don't do it. We don't love the poor as we do the rich and powerful. So how do we change how we speak and act? Well, here's the challenge. We have to react to our calling from God with a repentant heart and follow Jesus and live in the way that he has told us to. Verse 8 says, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. So James makes sure that we are reminded of what the kingdom of God really is. It is a kingdom of love. What are the two great commands we saw in Mark 12? We are to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So love God above everything else and love your neighbor as yourself. And this is exactly what favoritism, what prejudice doesn't do. Who here today hasn't been hurt in some way by rejection or of being an outcast? Love your neighbor as yourself. This is our calling, but it is a dangerous calling. Because if you follow these commands, then life will be uncomfortable. You can't just surround yourself with the people you like and be comfortable. The gospel calls you to love everyone, and to do that, you will be around people who are not loving in return. But we are called to do this. American pastor Paul Tripp calls it incarnating the grace and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. This means that we are to embody the love of God within us and to love all those we engage with. Are you willing to accept the call? Are you willing to have relationships that show the gospel through how you speak and act in every circumstance. Jesus' command to love your neighbour as yourself is so clear that we must act upon it. But we don't always do that. Maybe it's because we're not really listening. Or maybe 
If we don't obey the command, we didn't truly hear it. Are we still quick to listen? Are you hearing what Jesus is saying to you today? Now, it's possible at this point you wish that James was done with what he had to say. And I, I feel that. If you love your neighbour as yourself, you're doing right. End of Bible passage, end of sermon, I'll jump down, we'll sing some songs, we'll go to morning tea, everyone's happy. But it's not the case. He goes on in verse 9, he says, But if you show favouritism, you sin, and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Here's the next thing that James wants us to hear. Favoritism, prejudice, is shown most truly when we prioritise one of God's laws and choose to forget another. And so the proud man forgets his own pride and looks critically on someone who's materialistic. And the materialistic man criticises the bad theology of the bad theology guy. I mean, we can't decide which of God's laws we are going to follow. We have submitted ourselves to all of it. And favouritism isn't a little thing. My favouritism shows my disloyalty to my Lord and my desire to set my own standards and rules. Favouritism reveals my lack of submission to the law of God. I mean, the point is, the person who shows favouritism is not right with God. Well, lastly, a way forward. How are we to speak and act? James finishes with these words. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom. Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And we are to speak and act as those who are free, who have received mercy. Favoritism forgets the grace and mercy economy of the gospel. God has called you to a life of freedom through the law, which is his grace. We are freed from the bondage of divisions that destroy human community and human relationships. So you have been freed not by the law, but by God's grace. That grace not only forgives you for your spirit of favoritism, but empowers you to live in a much better way, to love one another and to show mercy to all those around you. And James reminds us that our identity is that we are no longer children of judgment under the law, but we are children of mercy. Our identity is found in the one who died and rose for us. I was watching The Voice uh, the other night, please don't judge me for that, uh, and a woman came on who's an accomplished singer uh, but has been battling breast cancer. She had just been through 20 weeks of chemo and had been declared cancer-free, but in the process had lost her hair. And she was talking about her hair, she was, you know, the singer with the big curly hair, and she said, it's a cruel joke that the treatment makes you lose and strip away so much of your identity. Her identity was wrapped up in what she did and how she looked. 
It defined her as a person. Her outward appearance mattered so much that when it was drastically changed, she didn't think she was the same person. As children of God, there is nothing that can be done to us here on earth that will change our identity. We belong to God, and it is only in Him that we see who we truly are, and only through the Bible that we can know that to be completely true, which is why favoritism is inappropriate in the first place. Now, maybe this sermon today isn't the uplifting message that you were hoping to hear. Maybe you're coming up to a pretty tough week, and all I've given you is a hard challenge. But James wants us to look in the mirror of the Word of God and see the true condition of our hearts. We are not free of favoritism. We are not free of prejudice. And it gets in the way of us being the shining lights of His gospel, of reflecting His unconditional love to people who don't know Him yet. We're not always a community of love and grace that God calls us to be. And we don't always show the fruit of the Spirit like we should. But the gospel gives us glorious hope. Our glorious Lord Jesus Christ was a victim of favoritism. He was willing to subject himself to all kinds of rejection, to be mocked and despised, to face injustice, and to die as an innocent man. And he was willing to do all of that for you and me, so that we would have the forgiveness and the power and deliverance to deal with what we have in our hearts. You see, you cannot truly believe the gospel and be afraid to look at yourself honestly. The Bible shows us who we truly are, but it gives us hope. So Jesus has come, and he resides in us now. And Jesus was subjected to prejudice so that we can be freed from it. So how does this translate to your workplace? Well, who you are, who you truly are, must be the person that you are at work. If you are transformed by the gospel, if Jesus lives in you, and you hear the command to love your neighbor as yourself and try to live it out, then that will change how you speak and act at work. But it won't be instant. You will struggle and you will fail. But when we struggle and fail, God always gives strength to keep trying and grace when we fall. You see, this is our God, in whom we find our true identity and in whom we put our faith. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that as we go out into your world for the week ahead, that we will take the time to examine our hearts and look for the signs of favoritism within us. We are sorry, Lord, for the ways that we do not love our neighbour as we should. Please help us to lose this desire to treat people differently and learn how to love others like you have loved us. I pray that you will be changing our hearts and taking away the spirit of prejudice that we all have. Enable us to be children of yours who live to love each other. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.